Father, tonight we come on behalf of the lost. We come on behalf of those that don't know you as their Savior. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you, Lord, for those that we've shared with that have come to know you. Father, we're going to believe ahead of time. We're going to thank you ahead of time for their salvations, for families and friends. Lord, tonight we thank you for our bishop and Dr. Cheryl, for the leadership they give this church. Father, for the leadership they give to the network, we ask you to bless them abundantly. Touch them. Minister to them. Father, tonight, thank you for Dr. Simon and Trish. God, the gift you've given to them, we ask for fresh touch and anointing upon them tonight as they bring the word. Lord, we ask you to open our ears to hear and let our spirits receive the ministries of the network, the ACM touching the globe. We lift our fellow pastors and ministers, workers. Lord, once again, we continue to ask you for direction and guidance. We thank you, your arm's not too short. You can't touch. Lord, once again, we lift Apostle and Sister C. Dr. Garner, thanking you for what they've done through the years. I ask you, Holy Spirit, just to minister to them even now. Minister to them even now. And we give you the remainder of this service, Lord. We praise you and glorify you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Evangel. Let's hear that again. Good evening, Evangel. Yeah, I just want to make sure everyone's awake out there. <laughs> I know it's daylight savings time has uh, ended and the clocks have gone back and we're a little discombobulated, but uh, we're still here, amen? Yep. How many of you like the fall back, though? I like getting the extra hour. That one's always popular with me. <laughs> amen. <coughs> so I mentioned this morning that the pulpit's been kind of dry. Oh. And, uh, and it's because of the lack of jokes that have come <laughs> forth from the pulpit. But nevertheless, I'm back. So the jokes are back. <laughs> so you ready? <clears throat> Harold and Martha were getting up in years. How many can identify with that one? Harold and Martha were getting up in years and were at the clinic for their yearly checkup. The doctor gave Martha and Harold a good report and asked them if they had any issues. They replied that they couldn't remember things like they once could. How many can identify? Reassuring them, the doctor said that that was part of the aging process and a simple remedy to was write down things that were important so as not to forget. A few days later, Harold was going into the kitchen when Martha asked Harold, would you make me one of those special Sundays and don't forget to put a cherry on top? Oh, and Harold, you better write that down. Remember what the doctor said? I won't forget, replied Harold. About 15 minutes later, Harold returned and handed Martha a plate of scrambled eggs and bacon. Disgusted, Martha said, Now, Harold, I told you to write that down. Shocked, Harold said, Why? What did I forget? My toast, replied Martha. <laughs> <laughs> and everybody out there who could identify said amen <laughs> so the title of our sermon is get out of your comfort zone so i want you to picture yourself <clears throat> turning around and giving yourself a a good spiritual kick. Yep. Amen? Get out of your comfort zone. How many know that God is always moving forward? 
right? He's always expanding. Do you ever think about that? There is no decrease in God. He is ever expanding. And because there's no decrease in him, when we look at our own lives, God wants us to keep moving forward as well. He wants us to keep growing and expanding. But as Christians, we are called to live in his presence. Say, I want to live in God's presence. I want to live in God's presence. And in God's presence is where we discover our purposes for tomorrow. So tonight we're going to talk about risking or risk taking. What it means to step out of our comfort zones. And when you think about it, the word risk is another name for faith. Do you ever think about that? Risk is another word for faith. Risk is about getting out of our safe zone and living in the faith zone. So how many want to move out of your safe zone and live in the faith zone? Amen? So it's important, especially right now in the midst of this COVID chaos, as I like to call it, where fear and anxiety has gripped the hearts of our culture and countless Christians we have to remember what Jesus said in John 16, 30, 33. He said, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you may have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now think about that. Is the world in trouble right now? COVID chaos throughout the world, right? The elections, you know, you could be on this side or that side. There's all this upheaval going on. But God tells us in the middle that he has given us his peace, that we may have peace. Why? Because we know that no matter what happens, he's overcome and he's in control. Amen? <clears throat> so let me ask you a couple questions. Has the COVID situation caught God off guard? <clears throat> has fear gripped his heart? Is he cowering behind his throne in heaven? Where is he? He's sitting on that throne, right? Does he already know what's going to happen? <clears throat> Does he already know what the enemy is going, uh, going to do? Does he already know what you and I are going to do when we get out of this service and when we get up tomorrow? Amen? So God is on the throne, and that is the perspective that we need to have if we're going to move out of our safe zones. So... No, stating the obvious, we're going through a time like never before. None of, none of us have experienced this. You know, there's been times you can look back through history, the bubonic plague and, and different things that have over, you know, taken over the world and, and the chaos that is happening now has happened then. <coughs> but it hasn't happened in our world. It hasn't happened to any of us, unless any of us were born in the 1900s. So we are moving through this time in this season and we're taking baby steps to recover. Amen. We don't know when schools will get back to, to normal for our kids. We don't know when job situations will, will get back where people will start going back to work. Some people are looking and thinking, well, I don't even know if I'm going back to work. So we've got all of these situations and uh, circumstances that we're addressing and we're taking baby steps to figure all of this out, right? But if you want to move from normality into where God wants you to be, you have to be willing to move out of your safe zone and begin to take risks. And we're not talking about foolish things where, oh, I'm going to quit my job and start this ministry and, you know, do, do things that are just out of, let's say, normal bounds. But, but God isn't calling us just to normality. Right. He's doing a new thing in this time and this season. And the world is caught up in fear and chaos and turmoil and anxiety. But God has a path through it. He has a true north for each one of us. And that's the path of faith. And that's the path that God is calling each one of us to. So here's an illustration for you. This is about a couple named Pat and Steve. They were celebrating their anniversary on a beautiful beach resort. <coughs> Excuse me. One morning, and they decided to walk along the resort's wellness trail. It was a mile long. You know, it had different exercise stations, pull-ups and sit-ups and a balance beam, and those types of things. And it had an elevated rope bridge. 
So Steve went along and he just moved through it. And Pat looked at the bridge and she looked at the holes between the slats and along the sides and she froze up and she couldn't do it. And she simply walked back and she was disappointed with herself and it, it really wrecked the rest of her day. And what she said was, all I could see was the gaping holes in the sides large enough to fit my entire leg through with one slip of the foot. She acknowledged that Fear had overcome her, and so she walked away disappointed. The next day, her and her husband went sailing on a 24-foot sailboat. It was the first time that Pat had ever sailed, and she was thrilled and exalted, even though the boat was in choppy waters. Why? Because they were experienced sailors in charge. And Jane knew that the adventure was far more thrilling to her than the danger it held. And she thought back to the rope. And she thought, why is it that I allowed the fear to hold me back instead of the thrill of the adventure? So the next morning, they took the same trail again, the same exercises. And this time, when they came up to the rope, uh, rope bridge, Pat didn't say a word. She simply put one foot in another. She held onto the sides of the rope, and she walked right across, okay, just as if she was going for a Sunday morning stroll. And the thrill of the adventure grabbed her heart, and pushed that fear aside. And that's what God wants for each one of us, is to feel the thrill of the adventure. Not look at the fear, not look at what can hold us back or what could possibly be, go wrong, but what is God calling us to, the great adventure in life. Amen. That's good. You know, most of us, if we're honest, will admit that risk kind of has a negative connotation to it. It sounds like a negative situation. We want to mitigate it, avoid it at all costs, right? Mm -hmm. Even a minute ago when Dr. Simon said, you know, isn't it exciting to take a risk? It's like, no, it sounds a little scary, actually, doesn't it? And uh, we have to realize that risk is just a part of life, but it's a really big part of our faith as well. You know, God took incredible risk in order to open up relationship to us. And so we need to look at Numbers 13 through 14 to look at the exploration through the promised land and what happened in that situation. So I'm going to read through it quickly. Numbers 13, 26 through 33 says that the 12 spies, right, came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh and in the desert of Paran. And so there they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land, which were the enormous oversized grapes, right, that they had to bring back on a stick like you carry a, a pig. And it says, they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Just like God said, right? Isn't that something? Here's the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live the, near the sea and along the Jordan. That's a lot of ites, isn't it? Mm -hmm. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, uh, for we can certainly do it. But the man who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And we saw the Nephilim, and we saw their descendants, and we seem like little grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Numbers 14, 1 through 10, is where we read of the people rebelling. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we died in Egypt or in the wilderness. They wanted to die instead of take the risk. God had promised them the land. And he said, wait till you get in there. I'm going to blow your mind. Milk, honey, provision, fruitful, uh, plush. It's just going to be magnificent. Now they would rather give up their life than go ahead and walk through the door, right? Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? 
we should choose a leader and go back. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land. They tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he'll give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord. Don't be afraid of the people of the land, because we will devour them. Their protection's gone, but the Lord's with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the Lord, or the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The whole assembly talked about stoning them. Isn't that something? I would rather hang on to my fear and avoid taking a risk to the degree that I would stone the leaders I've trusted for all these years and the God that I serve. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? So who walked in fear in this situation? The ten spies, right? Who walked in faith? Joshua and Caleb, absolutely. Who wanted to play it safe? Ten spies, right? Who was willing to take a risk? Joshua and Caleb. So who do you want to be like? Do you want to be like one of the ten spies, or do you want to be like Joshua and Caleb? You know, not every risk is worth taking. We have to be reasonable. We have to make sure that we're led of the Holy Spirit. But if we're so overwhelmed by fear that we can't actually assess the situation accurately, then we're missing all the opportunities for growth. And that's exactly what takes place when we take a risk. So your question tonight is, have you been playing it safe? If you want to move forward, then you have to be prepared to take some faith-based risks. Amen? Amen. So say faith-based faith -based risks. Risk. Not my risks, right? My but faith-based risks. So being a follower of Christ in today's world, as we are seeing more and more, is not necessarily comfortable or safe, is it? Mm -hmm. But it wasn't intended to be. God never said it would be safe, but he said he would protect us, didn't he? So let's think of the giant risk takers in scripture. Moses hardly played it safe when he went back to Egypt and confronted Pharaoh. Gideon did not play it safe when he eliminated 90% of his men before he went to war, right? Mm -hmm. David wasn't playing it safe when he approached and confronted Goliath. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not playing it safe when they went to Nebuchadnezzar and said, we're not bowing down to the image, sorry. Esther was not playing it safe when she approached the throne and put her life on the line for her people. And Peter was not playing it safe when he stepped out of that boat and walked on the water with Jesus, was he? These were all risk takers. These are some of our favorite stories and characters in scripture. But they took a risk in God, a faith-based risk. So God says, I'm here waiting for you. Will you step out and do it? Will you move forward? Will you do something you've not done before? And so we simply have to say, yes, God, I will. We can't play it safe. If we really want to see dreams come true, take hold of tomorrow, then we have got to go places we've never gone before. You know, one of my good friends, uh, who I just love and adore, shared with me a couple of years ago how her New Year's resolution was simply to say yes to everything. She said, I've been living in fear and hesitancy and afraid to take risks and afraid to fall on my face. I don't want to step out and prophesy. I've not done it. I'm not trained. I'm not a prophet. I'm afraid to lay hands at the altar. The deliverance seminars intimidating to me and I just don't want to make God look bad but this year I'm saying yes to everything she mm. was busier than she has ever been in ministry and you would not believe the growth at the end of that year and I remember saying to you know somebody who didn't show up for deliverance seminar a lot to minister so are you going to come this weekend yes <laughs> are you going to show up for the presbytery yes are you going to show up for the foot washing? Yes. It was just a yes out of her mouth to every opportunity in God. And it was such a fabulous experience. But I love the determination. It was simply a decision. I am not going to be led by fear. I am not going to let the enemy intimidate me anymore. I'm simply going to say yes. And you know something? God showed up every single time. Amen. God will always show up when you step out. You know, I'm looking across this, this audience and... Uh, you know, m most of you I know, and I know your lives, and I know the, the situations that you've been in and the circumstances and, and some of the things that you, you have pushed through. And you can look back at your own life, and you can see that God has been faithful. And because he's been faithful in, in before, uh, the things he has called you to, to do and you've stepped out, you can be assured that that same faithful God is there when you step out in faith in whatever he's calling you 
uh, calling you to. You know, I'm, <clears throat> how many remember the old Pink Panther movies? Okay, or better yet, the Pink Panther cartoons. Yes. Okay, so I remember one particular one, and he was, uh, he was sleepwalking. <laughs> and he was stepping out, and I can't remember all the cartoon, but I remember him stepping out like this, mm-hmm. and he was stepping out into thin air, and all of a sudden, as he did, a board showed up. Yeah. And then another one, and then another one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just how God does it with us, right? He doesn't show us the whole plan at one time. Rarely does he anyway. Okay. Mm -hmm. Most of the time it's that step by step by step. Mm -hmm. So let's go back to the story of the 12 spies, but we're going to look at Caleb in particular. You know, there's only about 30 verses in total in the scriptures about Caleb, but they tell us everything we need to know about his level of faith, his level of courage, uh, the legacy that he has left, the powerful example that he laid out for us as a risk taker, as, as somebody who was looking to the future of grace in his life. <clears throat> so the backdrop of the scriptures that Dr. Trish uh, read earlier to us is that Moses sent these 12 guys out, Joshua, Caleb, and the uh, 12 other spies, and they were to go in the, and check out the land, right? Now, <clears throat> you want to think about this. God had already, what, promised them that land. They were just going out to scout the enemy. How many know everybody here has a promised land? And when you go to scout it out and to figure out your path through, you're either going to see the giants or you're going to see God. You're either going to move forward or you're going to stay where you're at or maybe even shrink back, right? So their their, their mission was to take notes on the land, observe the enemy, study any fortification uh, that was set up in any of the cities, estimate the population, bring back samples of the land, bring back the intelligence. So they were intelligence gathering from Moses as he planned the, the upcoming invasion that God had uh, laid out before them. And once again, I want to tell you that he had already promised them this land. Okay, So they're not doing something in foolish faith. They're doing what God had said, I've given you this. So in Numbers 13, 21 and 22, it says, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin. <clears throat> and when they went up through the south, they came to Hebron, and the descendants of Anak were there. Now, who were the descendants of Anak? These were the giants. Okay, these were the offspring of the original giants, and they had taken over the land. And the interesting thing is, this land and the city of Hebron in particular had been the ancestral home of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But what was given to them at one place was now inhabited by the enemy, by these giants. And the sight of these huge warriors terrified the, the, the spies. You know, yes, they, they took home or took back some of the grapes and they had a pole between them because it was, the grapes were too big for them to carry. And they didn't look at the fruit of the land. They, look at, they looked at the fear. They looked at the size of the enemy in that land and that caused them to shrink. You want to think about this. They were gone for 40 days. And every day the Israelites would have their sentries out looking around. Oh, they haven't come back. They haven't come back. For 40 days they were gone. Now by this time the, uh, the, the Israelites would have been wondering, are they even going to come back? Right? Maybe they've already died. Maybe we shouldn't go in. And then they show up and there's this huge celebration for these 12 individuals who had made, uh, made it back. And what did, uh, as we, we learned from Pastor Trish, that only two of them came back with a good report. Two of them saw what God had promised them and what God could do for them, and ten said no. <clears throat> Those ten wanted to keep everyone in the safe zone, right? And the Israelites listened to them. So you want to think about that. Think about when you're on the job Think about when you're in, in your sphere of the influence, how much power your words have over those who are in around you, those who are listening to you. So there's something called the power of bad. Say that with me, the power of bad. The 
the power of bad. And they illustrate this in, uh, in football terminology. So in the NFL, we know that coaches study the smallest statistics to find every possible advantage, right? But there were a couple of, of authors who did some studying, and they found out that coaches make the same mistake week after week. And it happens in fourth down situations. So all you football fans out there, you always hear what? Fourth and short, right? Fourth and a yard. You've got, you know, big honking guys on both sides. And it's the coach's decision whether we're going to, to go for it or whether we're going to punt. And you know what? <clears throat> Nine times out of ten, coaches decide to do what? Punt the ball, right? Why? Because it is the safe thing to do. But statistically, statistically, it is better for the coaches to go for that extra yard than it is for them to play it safe. So what happens, and, and you know, if you're a football fan, you've all been out there, the, coach, you know, the team goes for its fourth and one, and they fall short, and the other team goes back and scores. And what happens in the news the next day, in the newspapers, on the sports uh, stations, the coach gets vilified, right? Yeah. What a stupid thing to do, you know? <laughs> Man, if I was a coach of that team, and you, had to, you hear it on and on and on, all these negative reports come out, just like the 10 spies. But if statistics say it is better for a team to try for that extra yard or two that they need, because most of the time, 80% of the time, they're going to make it. What is the coach looking at? He's looking at the 20% that he's going to fail. And that's what dictates what he does and what the team does. Why? Because we're afraid of public opinion. We're afraid of it being the, you know, all the naysayers and the negative reports that are going to come against us. If we do fall short, that's what the coach is thinking. So rather than risking, they play it safe. And you know what? The truth is, the fear of failure has lost many, many games. Interesting. Have you ever heard these names? Shamua, Shafo, Higo, Palti, Gadil, Gadi, Amir, Tafer, Nadi, in Angel. Have you ever heard those names before? Anyone got them as a middle name? No. Those were the 10 spies. Never heard a thing about them, did we? We know who they were, and that was it. Isn't that amazing? So they risked their lives in an espionage mission to go and case the land that God sent them on, and then they lost heart and forgot to trust God at the end. And that was it. That's all we ever hear about them. That's all they ever got to do. But they did more than that. They discouraged and disheartened the people. So they actually spoke with authority to the people as though they had the truth and factual information and discouraged the folks from even wanting to enter into the promised land. And they made three mistakes, and the mistakes that we all make ourselves if we're not careful. The first mistake that they made that we make as well is maximizing the opposition. Say maximizing the opposition. <clears throat> maximizing the opposition. So we maximize the enemy, right? We make him real big in our lives and in our particular situation, right? And the 10 spies did that. The truth is, we usually do this. And sometimes we like to do this and we choose to do this. And there's a number of different reasons. Sometimes it's just an excuse to not do something we don't want to do or something that God told us to do, right? Sometimes it's because I don't want to be held accountable for the results. So I just simply say, but look at how monumental and scary this situation is. You can't possibly expect me to do that. Sometimes we don't want the responsibility that goes with carrying it out. So we have all kinds of motives and reasons for making things look too hard, too difficult, you know, require too much faith, because then we get off the hook, right? And we get to stay where we're at. But God has all kinds of adventures and victories and great meaningful ministry opportunities for us to do. But when we look at the bridge into our future, are we seeing the ropes or are we seeing the holes that mm -hmm. we could fall through? It's a matter of perspective, right? And that's why in situations, we have to pray, God, give me your mind in this situation. Give me your perspective. How are you looking at the situation? Because I guarantee you it's probably not the same, right? In Numbers 13, the 10 
10 spies magnified every single threat that they saw. They looked at that bridge that God had designed for the future, and all they saw were the holes, all the risks, the fact that their life would be on the line, and they believed that scary picture that the enemy painted. It says in 1331 through 33, but the men who had gone up with him said, we cannot attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites the bad report about the land that they had explored. And they said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. And we saw the giants, and we seem like grasshoppers to them. But it's interesting in scripture in both passages, it says, we look like grasshoppers in our eyes, and we look like grasshoppers in their eyes. Mm. So their perspective was, I'm just like a little speck. They're just going to squash me like a bug. Look at the strength and the size of them and how fortified the cities are. We can't stand against it. But God promised them the land. But they looked at the natural, right? So look at all that they believed. They believed they weren't able to go up against the people. They believed that the, the giants and those who uh, inhabited the promised land were stronger than them. They didn't actually know that. They assumed they were stronger than them. They decided that, right? They said the land itself devours all of its inhabitants. The men are of great statue. The men are giants. The men are from Anak and from the land of the giants. And we look like grasshoppers in our eyes and in their eyes. You know, the enemy will be all too willing to paint a scary picture for yeah. you. You're waiting for test results. You're waiting for the job interview. You're waiting to find out if you still have a job. You're waiting to find out if your spouse is going to forgive you, if your kids are okay. All the situations that we look at, the enemy is like, this is what it looks like. And he does this just backdrop, right? And he's taking the time to make it very realistic to us. And it plays on our fears. And so when we see this looming image, it's easy to buy into it if we aren't exercising our faith and our risk-based faith and saying, wait a minute, God, you're God. You said this. So it just doesn't matter. I'm not going to entertain it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm going to keep my face in your word, and I'm going to continue to meditate on the truth because that's the reality of what's going to happen, not all these irrational fears in my mind that the enemy's been working on me, right? So if you intend to move forward in life, if you want to grow in your walk, if you want ministry, if you want leadership on any level, then you're going to have to learn what it means to take risks in God and to be willing to step out of that comfort zone, right? All of history's most celebrated leaders have learned to do this, and they've written many stories and books about it. There is no traction without friction. Amen? Mm -hmm. No traction without friction. If you want to grip the road and start to spur forward and launch out, there's going to be a little bit of friction. But don't let the spark scare you or deter you. Amen? Amen. So at the beginning of the Civil War, this is just a great story. Uh, no military career looked brighter than General George B. McClellan's. How many of you remember that name? Mm. High school history, right? Mm. Some called him the Napoleon of the American Republic. And so President Lincoln made him commander of the Army of the Potomac, and later he promoted him to the first general-in-chief of the entire American army. So McClellan cut a stunning figure on horseback. He was quite a, a stoic-looking general, and so he, he just looked the part, right? He was authoritative. They always said that they thought central casting put him in the role. It was like King Saul in the Bible. He just looked the part, right? He was tall and sharp and very stoic, and so he immediately had an authority about him. But he also regularly overestimated the size and the strength of the enemy. So he would magnify the threat, and the more daunting the enemy grew in his mind, the less confidence he showed on the battlefield with executing his troops and setting up strategies. So he saw the holes instead of the ropes, right? And it is the same thing that King Saul did, isn't it? Mm -hmm. God would have used King Saul, but that's what he saw was he saw the holes, not the rope. So even though General McClellan consistently organized and prepared, he actually rarely engaged in fighting. So he would get everybody ready, he would do all the exercises, he would plan everything out on the maps on paper, but he would rarely release the troops to engage. And when he did, his objective was always avoiding a lot of loss, loss of life or loss of territory, instead of winning. So he wasn't even focused on the win. He was just focused on not coming out too beat up. So that's odd, isn't it, for a general, someone in the military? So Lincoln finally wrote McClellan a letter, and he said, listen, if you don't want to use the army, I'd like to borrow them for a while. Isn't that good? Doesn't it remind you of what Caleb and Joshua did? I mean, they said to the ten spies, you know, isn't it a good time 
to ask yourself, what does this remind you of? Does it remind you of you? That you mm. step back, you cower, you get intimidated with the enemy, the fear overwhelms us, and we have to say, but God, what did you say to me? What was your promise? Well, you know, uh, what do I know about your character in the word? And so, God, I need to keep in the forefront of my mind what you said you would do and not what I'm feeling the enemy is going to do right now. Sometimes we have to just remind ourselves that God created the devil, right? He created him. He's not equal with God. He's just a player on the field. He's just a pawn in God's game. We've got authority over him because we're seated in heavenly places. He ain't all that. He just loves to intimidate, right? So whenever we compare ourselves to the opposition, instead of comparing God to the opposition, we're mm -hmm. gonna get bound up in fear. And isn't that exactly what we have to do? Yeah. Well, I'm coming up against the enemy. I'm coming up against the situation. Mm -hmm. I'm facing this really negative ordeal. No, God is, right? It's not me, because I probably wouldn't win on my own. But when I compare the almighty God to that thing that's coming up against me, pfft, no big deal. He's got it. He's absolutely got it, right? So if that has been what's prevented us from taking those forward steps in life, we simply need to recognize it. That's all we have to do is acknowledge it and say, you know what, God? This fear's been getting the better of me. And God, I get all strategized in my mind and I read the books, you know, and I write in my journal and yeah, I've still got that prophetic word on tape, but God, I don't move. I never take a step forward because I'm afraid. And God says, well, guess what? That's not from me. I own that mess. So why don't you just lay it down at the altar? Trust me to protect you. I've got your back. I mean, we have got, you know, the Trinity on our side, amen? So that when we step out into battle, we will have the victory. So squash that fear out, amen? Amen. So number one was we maximize the opposition. Number two is we minimize the opportunity before yes. us. So you want to think about the, the 10 spies. They did exactly that. They minimized the incredible opportunity that God had given them. They had a dim perception of who God was and what he had in store for them. They believed that God was setting them up for destruction. You think about that? God was setting them up for destruction. He brought them through the Red Sea and out of Israel and through the, the desert and everything else. And now he's going to destroy them just like that. Okay? They allowed their unbelief to be contagious to the rest of the Israelites. So they all together, the nation, the ten spies, had this tragic perception of who God was and what he is capable of. And you want to challenge yourself with that same thing. What is your perception of God and what is he capable of doing for you? Okay? <clears throat> As I said, they, they already knew he delivered them from slavery. He'd, he'd parted the Red Sea. He'd taken them through the wilderness. Uh, they, they had the, the, <clears throat> the smoke and the, the pillar of fire to lead them through. And, and he did all these miraculous things. He gave them food. He gave them drink. He promised to make them into this great nation. He said, this is the land I have given you. He's laid it all out before them except for the, the, uh, the details of how they're going to get them. And yet they still chose to look at the opposition. <clears throat> Instead of looking at the opportunity God had gave them, they looked at the opposition. And <clears throat> when we, when all of us look at a situation and we don't remind ourselves of what God has done in our past, how he has guided us through. Let me ask you a question, okay? <clears throat> is anybody out there dead? If you are, raise your hand. So you're all still alive, is that correct? So does that mean whatever you've gone through in your life, no matter how traumatic or bad it may have been, are you still here? Are you still standing? Can you look back and see God maneuvering and bringing you through the obstacles and the, the, the situations in your life. So we need, when God is facing us with an open door, a door of uncertainty, yet we feel this is the direction he wants us to go through, we need to look back. We need to look back and see where God was faithful. 
if we don't, and if we stay paralyzed, the enemy's got us right where he wants us. <clears throat> Remember, um, Peter, when he stepped out on the boat, right, he walked on water. He said, Jesus begged me to, to come to you, and so he did. And he walked on water, and he looked at the waves, and he started sinking. And he said, what? Save me, Lord. What, what did God say back to him? Anybody know? Oh, ye of little faith. How many times has God said that to us? Oh, ye of little faith. And the thing that gets me, God doesn't look at Peter sinking in the waves, crossed arms, and say, well, ye of little faith. Okay. Right? He says, well, you of little faith, and he's reaching down. Yeah. At the same point, he's chastising him, he's helping us. And that's what God does for us, people. Yeah. When we step out and we get in that shaky ground and we're, we're not full of the faith that we want and, and fear is coming against us, God's hand is right there. It's right there saying, come on, grab onto your faith. So we encourage you, we exhort you, look at your life where God has you, where he wants to take you. Don't minimize those opportunities. Let me ask you another, uh, another deep, deep question. How many of you have one life to live? Right? Every hand should be up. We all have one life to live. Do you want to live that life in regret? Or do you want to live that life saying, I stepped out? Did you make some mistakes? Maybe you did. The mistakes, did the mistakes kill you? Did you learn from them? Did you grow from them? Did some bad things happen to you? Did you survive them? Did you step out with God? Can you look at your life and say, it's been a wild ride? Or do you look at your life and say, well, I've been cowering in a little corner and just kind of getting through things. What do you want to do with the rest of your life? Do you want to enjoy the journey? Do you want it to be an adventure? Or are you a person you just want to take the very safe course so you can get the end of your life and say, I made it. One life to live. Amen? Don't minimize your opposition. Don't, uh, <clears throat> don't maximize, or excuse me, don't maximize the opposition. Don't minimize the opportunities that are before you because you will jeopardize the plans that God has for you. So remember the unbelief that the 10 spies had and they infected the rest of the nation. How that unbelief became really the crux of the penalty that came against them. Think about this. First of all, the 10 men he gave the evil report, they died immediately from a plague. Numbers 10, excuse me, 14, 30, 36 to 38 says, so <clears throat> the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men, say these men, <clears throat> who were responsible for spreading that bad report, Stop there. Say this with me. I don't want to be. I don't want to be. The individual. The individual. Who spreads. Who spreads. The bad report. The bad report. So these men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land <clears throat> were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. And of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua and Caleb survived. Second thing that happened. Not only did these two or ten spies die, but all the people who listened to the report, they died as well. Numbers 14, 29 to 30. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, how long will this wicked community grumble against me? I've heard the complaints of these uh, grumbling Israelites. So tell them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord, <coughs> excuse me, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In this wilderness, your bodies will fall. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and who grumbled against me. Not one of you will enter the land I swore with uplifted hand to make your home, except Caleb and Joshua. You think about that. How sad that a whole generation. God was ready to pour out his blessing on them, and they shut their mouths. They stopped his blessing because they believed the unbelief report. Amen? So let me ask you a question here. What is your Canaan? What does God want you to tackle? 
What does he really want you to possess? <clears throat> What does he want you to accomplish for him? Never forget that unbelief fortifies the opportunities and jeopardizes your objective. Okay, unbelief will, excuse me, forfeit is the word. Unbelief will forfeit your opportunities and it will jeopardize any opportunities. Amen. How many of you want to live in the faith zone? Yes, every morning say, I'm living in the faith zone when um, you get out of bed. You know, I can't imagine how frustrating it was for Caleb when he was just pleading with the people, we can overtake them, let's go, this is what God promised. And they just completely negated him and even threatened to kill him, right? But you know, God heard him. And God acknowledged him and God saw him, both Joshua and Caleb. Mm -hmm. And you know, over the decades, all of the older Israelites passed away. And they just speckled and marked the entire desert, including Moses. And then Joshua stepped into his shoes, and he and Caleb were the sole survivors, just the two of them, out of that whole generation. And they were able to lead the people across the Jordan into the Promised Land. It says in Joshua 14, 6 through 12, Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb... Uh, at the uh, Kenzanite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites who went up with me made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord your God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years, since that time when he said this to Moses, while Israel moved into the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I'm still strong as the day Moses sent me out. I'm just as vigorous to go out to battle as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me. You yourself heard then that the Amalekites were there and their cities were large and fortified, but the Lord helping me, I will drive them out just as he said. So Caleb's faith had grown tremendously. Mm. He started when he was a 40-year-old man, and he reached the promised land when he was 85. Mm -hmm. But what was he doing during that 40 years? He was getting closer to God. He was studying God's word. He was reminding himself of God's promise and God's faithfulness, and he was preparing himself for that day when the door would open. He was ready. Amen. You know, sometimes we get prophetic words or God speaks to us and we journal it and we get all excited, then we just sit and wait for it to happen. Six months goes by, a year goes by, two, three, four, five years go by. But God, you said the business was going to go. You said the ministry would launch. You said I'd be married by now. But what have we done during that waiting time? Yep. Have we prepared ourselves? Are we ready? You know, I can uh, think of so many young gals who just really desired a man of God in their life. And the first thing I would say to them is give the Holy Spirit permission to work in your heart so you're prepared and ready to have somebody share your life with you. Don't just sit there and wait. Take as little into the marriage as possible, amen? Get it worked out beforehand. So tell God anything in me that's not of you, drive it out, God. I'm open, I'm cooperative, I want to be in a place where very little junk goes into this relationship with me. Sometimes God says you're going to launch a ministry. Well, do you have a name? Do you have a website? Have you asked God to define it? What's your vision? What's mm -hmm. your mission? Who's your audience? What are your giftings that line up with the ministry? What are you doing to prepare? Because I'll tell you, most of the time, God's waiting for us. So we've got to be ready. Amen? Amen. Preparation. Say that. Preparation. <clears throat> going into business, you've got to prepare. You're going into ministry, you've got to prepare. Mm -hmm. Right? There's things that we don't know, so we need those mentors around us. We need those, those people with experience to lead and guide us, but we have to do the preparation. So in closing, in the midst of this COVID chaos that I continue to call it, You and I need to be men and women of faith. Yes. We need to be the ones who are going to set the example and show the world the way that God has because the world is acting exactly like those 10 spies. Amen? Amen. We need to point the way to God. 
remind them that he is still on the throne, that prayer changes things, that he, he, God honors faith. You know, this is, is such a ripe time to bring people to the Lord. You know, even uh, just this, <coughs> this past week, I was in um, uh, Home Depot. I uh, had to buy a few things, and this older gentleman came up, probably in his 70s, and, uh, you know, he's limping like this, and so I asked him what I needed to do, and he took me where I needed to go, and, and the Holy Spirit tapped me on the shoulder and said, talk to him, and so I said to him, uh, his name was Dan, I said, Dan, you know, why, why are you limping? He says, ah, he says, I've got arthritis, he said, I've had three hip replacements, and, uh, and he says, this arthritis is setting in. I said, Dan, I, I'm, a, I'm a pastor. I said, do you mind if I pray for you? He looked at me funny and he said, yeah. And he said, right here? I said, yeah, right here. So we just bowed our heads and I prayed God's healing blessing over him. And I said, Dan, I'm going to come back next week, which is this coming week. and I'm going to see how you're doing. And that's going to be my opportunity to lead uh, into a deeper conversation. In this day and age, people... Rarely will anyone refuse prayer. It is an open opportunity. So step out. Step out of your comfort zone. Listen to the Holy Spirit when he taps you on the shoulder to go talk to somebody or pray for somebody or or do something. Do what he asks you to do and leave the results up to him. Amen? So if everyone will stand with us. As always, we want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So if you'd uh, bow your heads and uh, close your eyes, just repeat this after me, okay? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus I have kept you out of my life for far too long. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've sinned. I've made mistakes. I've made mistakes. I've done things. I've done things that I'm not ha- proud of. That I'm not proud of. But Lord, but Lord, I know. I know that you died for me. That you died for and me. And that you rose for me. And that you rose for me. And that you live today. And that you live today for me. For me. So I confess my sin before you. So I confess my sin before you. And I acknowledge you. And I acknowledge you as my savior. As my savior. Come into my heart into my heart live big inside of me live big inside of me that I can live for you that I can live for you and I can live eternally for you and I can live eternally in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen if you've prayed that simple prayer for the first time please come and let us know if you have prayer of, uh, need a prayer for any reason at all please come up there'll be ministers with us uh, refreshments are out to the refreshments are out to the right our right There's a basket up front, up to the left. The cookies are to the left. Okay, the cookies are to the left. There's a basket up front if you did come in late and you have your tithes and offerings, it's here for you. Uh, But go this week, step out of your comfort zone, be a blessing to a complete stranger. Amen. Every morning when you get up, God, I am living in the faith zone. I am not afraid to take a risk. Help me to be obedient. Speak to me clearly. I am not afraid. I am in the faith zone. And I am going to step out and watch you blow my mind. Amen. Amen. Have a great week. Yep. We love you. God bless you. We'll see you next time.